Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Why are you creeped out? Have you seen the trailer for Mama? Mama? Yeah. This is, I, this is you not know why? Forrest Gump's Mama. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was? <laughs> and that's why he was running. Because he grew up in Pan's Labyrinth. God, the whole thing makes so much more sense. And she's just trying to get back her box of chocolates. She just wants the chocolates. <laughs> chocolates. This this movie it's Guillermo del Toro, so Can I can I tell you the can I tell you the truth? I'm gonna tell you something that I haven't told many people. Mm. I have a, Help. I have a. Tell me right here. In, in <laughs> I'm going to tell you private conversation in, in our intimate, uh, our more intimate moments. I'm going to tell you the truth. I freaking hated Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, oh my goodness! Wow, God, I hated it. I, I had such, and I, I do quite like uh, Guillermo del Toro. I, I think the thing that I like about him is when he he does his sellout movies. <laughs> I really like the Hellboy. Uh, and uh yeah that was a that was a that was a romp but uh, i didn't i didn't a... like the pan's labyrinth i i think i'm a, um i i'm not a huge fan of anything of his although i think i'm flipped from your perspective i prefer the pan's labyrinth and devil's backbone than i do the hell hellboy movies but i, I don't love any of them yeah yeah but he is an amazing visual filmmaker. That is, I the give truth. him that, and somebody who's able to create these elaborate worlds deserves big kudos. You know what? That's a really that's a really important uh, uh, distinction because I hated the movie because my I can't like I couldn't stomach the sensibilities. You know, sure. like I didn't I didn't agree with his vision. <laughs> uh, but he he is a stunningly visual filmmaker, and that that movie was a was a real showpiece for uh, what you can do uh, when you are suffering from extreme sleep deprivation and medicate <laughs> heavily. That's a, there is huge potential, and so. Uh, but Mama is his new film, and it's uh, what's her name, Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain and seeing Jessica, who's in uh, probably what like ten films a year now. <laughs> yeah, right. How did that happen? Um, and so it it's um, gosh, it looks <laughs> it looks really creepy. It looks like what all of these kind of haunted house, haunted family sorts of movies that have been coming out over the last year or two, like Dream House. Yeah. And what was the one that just came out with um, with Guy Pierce? Uh, there was the Guy Pierce oh. one. Um, there was, gosh, there's a isn't bunch there of them, one and with, I'm blanking on all the, the names. But it looks like what all of them wanted to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like the whole Silent Hill thing and the the um, uh, Fat Val Kilmer. 
Isn't that kind of like that thing? Isn't there something haunted in his new movie we talked about once? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Or maybe it was just the Guy Pierce one. It was him and um, the like little gremlins living in the walls or something, wasn't that? <laughs> that he was in and actually i think guillermo del toro uh produced that one uh, <laughs> probably yes don't well be afraid of the dark that's <laughs> that's right i did not see it because i don't usually uh i don't usually truck in this uh with the, these kinds of movies anytime it, it, it seems like now do you notice this in the trailer of mama the all of the haunted anything that's like haunted and the kids too it's like their main physical affectation is uh, they like pop lock. They they like it's like dubstep, <laughs> and they pop lock really fast. Yeah, yeah. They, they like they're they're doing. I wish this were visual because you could see I really do it really well. And Are you I'm, doing it across I'm doing, the room. Right I'm now? doing it right now. <laughs> nice. You're on your wireless headset, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Are you crawling on your ceiling? That's right. And I'm moonwalking. <laughs> I'm moonwalking and pop locking. Uh, uh, so I I usually don't watch these movies uh, because of all the. Um, dubstep but this one this one looks particularly creepy and i like that the kids are creepy but you know they they clean up nice it's <laughs> it's like most of these movies go the other way where the kids are really clean and they get really dirty and kind of haunted and this movie they try to go the other way and they they start out really dirty and scary and they get clean they 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 end up kind of polished shiny they do yeah all right, so that's uh, that's Mama. Uh, when does that uh, when does that hit? Do you know? You know, I didn't even look. Soon, coming soon, coming soon <laughs> to a theater near you. Uh, next one on the list. Let's go. Uh, Stand up, guys. Mama uh, doesn't come out till January. Oh, oh that's we too bad. Failed. Uh, Stand up, guys. I just got finished uh, reading. Oh goodness, I have to check it you know it's one of these fantastic reading experiences uh that i that i do for my kids when i read the uh you know the bedtime stories mm -hmm. and i just finished uh, miss beard is weird part of the my weird school series my weirder school series and miss beard was a television producer mm -hmm. and sh her voice sounded suspiciously like christopher walken <laughs> I don't I don't do a good Christopher Walken, but I did my best for for this uh, for my six year old story time. And 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 I bet your six year old pinned it. <laughs> totally Daddy, nailed is it. that Christopher Walken? Daddy, oh, you are rocking the Walken tonight. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, this looks really interesting. And Fisher Stevens is directing it. It looks so great, Fisher Stevens. I didn't yeah. even pick that up. Yeah. Number five is alive. So you, uh, so this is, uh, God, the movie's got a lot of people in it. Uh, Walken and uh, Pacino. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. It's got uh, Juliana Margulies in it. Yes, who also so. also looks uh, terrific. This is one of the old man kind of caper movies. Um. You know, they're, they're, it, 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 it ends up being uh, sort of stronger than uh, than the geriatric action, explosive action film we've talked about. Well, because this one looks a lot more realistic. It's not about them just trying to, like, pull a caper. It's, trying, you know, them kind of getting back together, rekindling their friendship. You know, it's one of them who, who took the fall for all the others coming back and out, after getting out of prison. And um, something about it, it looks like a really great character film yeah 
it's character uh, for comedy. So it it sure does. It's written by uh, Noah Hadle. This is his first uh, feature, and uh, uh, so it'll be interesting to see um, how it turns out. It looks it's, yeah. it looks like it's a it's a old man caper film, geriatric caper with a lot of heart and some assassination. <laughs> That'll sell it to the young young huh? kids. Huh? <laughs> you had me at geriatric. That's right. Uh, oh. All right. I, I also had on the list, uh, this must be the place. And you, just, I tell you how excited I am about this trailer. You say, oh, I've seen that one like months ago because I see everything <laughs> early because I'm an industry insider. But this looks yes, like a great uh, movie, right? <laughs> no, the trailer came out a while ago. I can't believe I had not seen it. Uh, it looks great. It, Sean Penn comes out this November and uh, really just looks like a, a fascinating character film. It really does. I mean, I I think he's, I think this is this is one. It's it, it, okay. So this comes out. Wait, you said this comes out in November. It comes out November yes. some second, I think. And uh, stand up guys, when does that come out? That comes out in January also. Oh, also January. Man, they're pushing them to next year. Yeah, I got a lot of Januarys. Some of them, uh, um, you know, it didn't say anything about limited release. I don't know if that's yeah. going to try to push for any award buzz, you know, limited release in uh, New York and L.A. or anything like that. But um, Well, yeah. this is uh, Sean Penn plays an aging uh, rock musician, an aged uh, rock star, and he still dresses very goth, and he's terrifying, uh, terrible fear of flying, and he ends up uh, going to visit his father on his deathbed and learns about his father, and it ends up being a Nazi war crime hunt. And uh, <laughs> so... Out of left field. <laughs> it is. It's out of left field. But I'll tell you, it just really looks, there's something about it that's just magnetic. I um, I, I found myself really uh, loving that. I found <laughs> oddly in touch with that movie. Um, so it's going to be, afraid. it'll be a really interesting comedy drama sort of film. Um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing it. Frances McDormand looks great in it. You know, just everyone yeah. looks, um, I mean, they all look great. In it. it looks, it looks really fascinating. It absolutely does. I and so that one's that one looks very good. The the other one, uh, the other one that also looks fascinating. I'm trying to figure out when this one comes out. I think November fifteenth uh, in Italy. The company you keep, Robert Redford and Shia LaBeouf, uh, directed by Robert Redford. This is a, um, uh, it, it's a historical. Well, not really historical. Actually, it's a it's a film that centers on the hunt for a former weather underground activist, and. Um, so we've we've seen this story in particular related to the Weather Underground uh, played out time and again, but this one is Weather Underground with Robert Redford, Shia LaBeouf, Julie Christie, and Susan Sarandon. Um, and so we're gonna roll the dice on this one. It looks pretty good. Um, and uh, it's, it's almost can't go wrong with that. Yeah, cast, yeah you but, really you can't. Know. And this time, Robert Redford is the one being hunted. Shia LaBeouf is the journalist, and usually it's or historically it's. It's been flipped, so it'll be interesting to to watch Robert on the run. Yeah. So, uh, and finally, the big dog of the week. Yeah. Came out four and a half, five hours ago. There was a. This was Exciting. such a such a big trailer. The trailer had a trailer. <laughs> That's big. It was so big. Spielberg's <laughs> new film, Lincoln. I was tempted to make a Grover Cleveland joke, but I didn't. 
Is this the one? Uh, what night were they doing that um, um, Google Hangout? Was that last night? No, it was today. That's that's today. That was today. Well, we're recording on. Uh, we're recording this a late Thursday night, and uh, yeah, and so it was uh, five hours ago. They did the Google Hangout with the Shia LaBeouf, and I take it you didn't attend. Ah, uh, no, I didn't. No. I didn't. I missed it. The, what do you Prior think of the trailer? Commitments. What do you think of the trailer? Uh, you know, I think it looks. <clears throat> I think it looks great. I'm very excited about everything about it, except, <laughs> and I don't know if if this makes me sound petty, but his voice sounds too high for what I picture Lincoln sounding like. <laughs> Is that so petty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. The thing is, I this is what this is the the this is Daniel Day Lewis again, right? Yeah. You're gonna put so seriously, you're gonna put Daniel Day Lewis in Lincoln and not expect that to 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 win it out. This is the the Daniel Day Lewis perma Oscar box. They're setting oh, it up. It, They're it setting totally it up right is. now. It totally is unbelievable. But not only that, the number of supporting, I mean, the the supporting cast in this movie is stunning uh joseph gordon levitt tommy lee jones uh let's see jack harrell haley uh sally field right james spader uh david strathairn david strathairn looks great ox who's just one of my faves yeah jared harris moriarty (gasps) that's right oh my god i hadn't gotten down that far oh it just looks so so good yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It'll be a stunner. I mean, it's Spielberg at its best, and I. I mean, everything about it just reeks of top quality Spielberg. So. It really does, and it, it. Not only that, it's a movie that you know you can tell this is a movie with a message. This is the one that he, that, uh, y- y- you know, it's it's sort of the movie we need to see right now. Yeah, you know. Um, unfortunately, if it loses, it'll be because of the high voice. And I'll probably uh, it crush it for everything. Although, let me or tell you, it'll be because Abraham Lincoln was was in two films this year, and there's going to be a split vote. <laughs> People are going to get <laughs> because very confused. they're going to see this Which one and they think, "What I'm supposed to vote for?" <laughs> God, I like Spielberg's Lincoln. Not enough vampire <laughs> hunting. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln vampire, vampire hunter. hunter. <laughs> uh, you know, I have read in my rigorous uh, historical research. <clears throat> that Lincoln actually had quite a high dainty voice. Did he? Yes, he was quite dainty. Because you know, if anybody could pull off a deep and profound voice, it would be Daniel Day Lewis. So maybe and this so is like this a is, prequel I to think Transamerica. This is... <laughs> <laughs> I think one could make the case that Lincoln, in fact, is a prequel to every other movie ever. <laughs> Wow, that's deep. This that's is going to be the, the six degrees of Lincoln. There you go. Let me. Hey, speaking of six degrees, have you played? Uh, have you have you played with Google's new bacon number? I I've heard that you can do that. Check out our friend, uh, friend of the show, Chad Stoops, actor Chad Stoops. He's pretty close. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, I was. He's, 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 he is three. 
And you can't get it. You can't get it for you. You're not, as an industry insider, you're not connected. Oh, nothing. Yeah? Me? Nothing. I'm a nobody. You know, I should be. Well, I don't think TV counts. I need to get my TV yeah. extra moments in there. You really do. You should get more of those in there. I want. I, I have no idea. Well, that's what very exciting. Do, so I haven't done that's that. But uh, the bacon number. You just go to Google and you type in your favorite celebrity's name and then bacon number, and it'll give you the six degrees of seven bacon or Kevin Bacon, and it will, <laughs> and it does it by <laughs> seven bacon. Shut up. Six degrees of something. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, and it, it does it. And it actually, but what I like about it is that it actually gives you the answers. Like it, it, it'll say it's a three, but it tells you who all the actors are and gives you all the links to them. Yeah. So, you know, very handy tool. I'm so glad Google is spending its untold godzillions uh, you know that improving Charlie my search has experience. has a big number of two. Charlie Chaplin? Yes. He appeared he with Tippi Hedren in A Countess from Hong Kong, who appeared with Kevin Bacon in Jane Mansfield's car. Wow. Crazy stuff. All right. I'm going to blow your mind. Go for it. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, Kevin Bacon's bacon number is zero. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. The universe. That's uh, there is a universe somewhere that just imploded. <laughs> let's, uh, so can we, I, let's talk about this movie. Are we done with the trailers and things? Yeah, I think we covered all of them. All right. So tonight... We're talking about Rush. <sighs> okay. Now, this is not the... Band. Band. <laughs> nor is it the the movie that's coming out next year, Ron Howard's new movie. Yes. No, it's not that movie either. <laughs> we have not seen that one yet. Nope. This is the 1991 version <laughs> of, of that film. <laughs> Not of the same film, right? Ron Howard's film is like about... It's a little different. It has nothing not, to do with race cars. This, has, this, this one has nothing drugs. to do with race cars. <laughs> exactly. I don't think there's any shooting up in Ron Howard's movie. Uh, not that I know. Not that I know. I don't know the full story. Here's here's the thing. Last week, when we when we last spoke of this movie, if you allow me to do a little bit of a recap. Yeah. We're in the middle of our Richard Zanuck series. And so far, I think it is safe to say that Richard Zanuck has picked some real winners. We talked about some great films. We talked about Driving Miss Daisy. We talked about uh, uh, the terrific Jaws. Uh, we we talked about the uh, uh, fantastic uh, The Sting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and our first, uh, Zanuck, which was just very top of my list, Compulsion. We hadn't seen that. That was very exciting. Compulsion was yeah. terrific. So here we are uh, in, in the middle of our uh, of our, our Xanax series. And we have this rush with Jennifer Jason Lee and Jason Patrick. Right. Patrick with a C. No K. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. I was a little confused. Now, I, I made a comment uh, last week that I was unsure about the fidelity of my memory of this film, mm-hmm. if you recall. Because right, at the time when I saw the film, and the film came out in, in 1991, I was, you know, 
19, 19 years old. And tell me, I beg your pardon. You tell me, were you? Yeah. Well, I, uh, who knows? I, I guess so. 19 years. I, I was 19 or so years old. And, uh, I saw the movie and I think at the time, I mean, what was, what was Jennifer Jason Lee was just in, had just been in something prior to that, right? It was something uh, she was, uh, it was like last exit to Brooklyn or, or, uh, I think that, uh, let me look. I think that's what she had done right before this. Um, she played that, she played that, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> that yeah, peppy, prost- peppy prostitute. Miami Blues. Yeah, 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 yeah. The year before. And, uh, Jason Patrick plays, uh, Jim Rayner and he was, uh, super cool, you know, right? Uh, and, uh, but, but this was still, still pretty early, but he had, you know, he was Lost Boys. That's right. Okay. So I, I really, I, I wanted to be Jason Patrick at the time, you know, and I wish that I could, at the time, I wish I could, you know, grow out a cool beard. I managed to achieve <laughs> that at some point. And, and I really wanted to, to, I mean, who are we kidding? I was 19 year olds. I would, I wanted to hook up with Jennifer Jason Lee. I'm not kidding. You. Mm-hmm. She was, she was the, the hottest thing ever. I was totally in love with her. And I, I think I can say fairly after this week that my, uh, emotional connection with the movie has now far exceeded my critical relationship with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither of us had seen the movie since, since then, yeah. right? Yeah, and so I feel like we we deserve a bit of a pass. Uh, I, you know, I think I liked it more than you did. Are you kidding me? I'm not saying I thought it was, you know, you know, a ten out of ten or anything, but I didn't dislike <laughs> it. In fact, I think it's, I think it's a very interesting, dramatic portrayal of, of you know, drugs and and that sort of stuff. It's not a crime police film, which is it's 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 I think it's awkwardly stuck between these genres where it feels like it should be a cop thriller sort of thing, but really what it is is kind of a a, a drug drama, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm making a note. Because you're, this is, I'm going to find some way to inject this in a Rotten Tomatoes review. It is, (laughs) now you hold it. It is an interesting, dramatic portrayal of drugs, dot, dot, dot. I believe there was a pause in there. And that sort of stuff. (laughs) I hope you'll use the next half hour to really illuminate me on as to what that sort of stuff is. Awkward pacing, horrible delivery, <laughs> strange dramatic structure, pacing that falls apart until the last 28 minutes of the movie. <laughs> Please okay. share. All right. The, okay. This. Let me, let me go back because Wait. I want to, you got to let me tie this back into, to Zanuck. Okay. T- take it away. I have uh, uh, four, four <laughs> little words, four little words. Everyone picks a dog. You know, at some point, everyone backs a dog. This was a terrible. This was a terrible film. It was hard to watch. It took me like four sessions <laughs> to watch it. Terrible. It's a dog, and I'll tell you what. He this one. He it was his wife's uh, first directorial uh, uh, offing, and he backed it, and it was terrible. 
I should not have watched it because I really enjoyed my memory of it far more than watching it. Your turn. That, Please That go. does happen. That yeah. does happen. No, truly. It's always painful to, to think you love something so much, watch it again and go, oh, wow. I, not only was it not as good as I remember, but now I've also ruined that memory that I had. <laughs> exactly right. It's like a double whammy. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly right. Yeah. This was one of three films that Lily Finney Zanuck, uh, or three projects that she directed. It's actually the only film she directed. The other things that she directed were um, an episode of From the Earth to the Moon, the great uh, TV miniseries, and three episodes of, of Revelations, a TV miniseries that, uh, that came out in 05. Right. So she hasn't directed much. She mostly has, has produced. Um, you know, she's been with um, uh, Richard since 78. So they've been together for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. They were um, producing partners for, uh, I don't think all of that. I think they started producing, um, when does when her producing credits? Actually, Cocoon is her first producing credit. And um, she, from that point on, she and Richard um, produced all the way up until um, the early 2000s, and I think that um, she stopped and he just focused on producing it at that point. Um, Driving Miss Daisy, which is the film that they won the uh, Best Picture for and they each got their Oscar for. And, you know, interesting note that we didn't mention. When we talked about uh, The Sting and how it was a husband and wife couple um, who won um, the Best Picture Oscar for that Julia Phillips was the first woman to win a, an Academy Award for Best Picture. Lily Finney Zanuck was the second woman, and so far the, uh, I think, the only one up until Hurt Locker to win a Best Picture Oscar. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been few and far between. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, Wendy Feinerman then won for Forrest Gump uh, and Donna Gigliotti for Shakespeare in Love. So there were a couple others. But um, she was the second to win an Oscar for that. And as we all know, when you win an Oscar, you, you do get a free pass, essentially, to make whatever you want. <laughs> and I think that's why the same holds true for us. We did an Oscar-winning movie last week, <laughs> so we get a free pass for this piece of junk this week. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to say something nice about it. I got, I got it's a few not things. all awful. No, no, no. There's I got a few things. good stuff. And actually, I think that uh, I think some of the performances are better than you're letting on. Yeah, I know. Greg uh, Allman was terrific. Lumber. <laughs> Greg Allman was terrific lumbering through the scene <laughs> with his pristinely you know, silky yeah, blonde hair. He's an interesting choice. But okay, so yeah. for those of you who haven't seen it, this is a story that takes place in 74, right? A true story. What? A true story. It's a true. It's a truish story. Truish. It is. I'm, okay, I'll give you. It. It's. It's a. <laughs> the names have been changed, and the end has been dramatically changed. <laughs> yes, the end has been dramatic. The end changed. became a metaphor. It's a. It's a film about uh, two undercover cops in a small Texas town going undercover in the world of of drug dealers, and uh, they're trying to catch this big head of the drugs going on in the town according to the local um, chief of police who thinks that this is the big guy and in the process part of 
being involved in this drug industry is they have they have to take drugs. They just have to. They do, because oh, otherwise true. they get killed. And so, um, and it is based on a true story, um, based on the woman's life. Jennifer Jason Lee's character is essentially, um, what's her name? Kim Wozenkraft, Kim Woz- yeah. who was undercover. This did happen. They did um, fake evidence against this guy to put him away. And uh, but the ending, like like uh, you already said, has been been changed quite drastically. But um, it's I mean it's it's an interesting story about loss of innocence, I guess, right? Yeah, you're not going to help me out on this, are you? No, I you know I I'll give you I'll I'll give you the the loss. Of, I mean I, that's the that's the story that they ended up telling, right? That that she was, you know, it was it was this. Um, huh, when when did uh, uh, the uh, Hannibal the first one? When did that come out? Lambs came out in ninety. Yeah. yeah, so then this comes out in ninety one. Right practically identical setup right like we gotta Actually, go sorry they they came out the same year yeah that's too bad somebody was spying on them <laughs> practically identical. so they go to the they go to the training range and they they pick out this is you know this is another one in our spontaneous sam elliott series that's uh, right. who who has really <laughs> i think track the, of that the dark horse role of this film uh so sam elliott uh is the he goes with with jim rayner and they go and they pick out their their his new young partner they bring him in off the street and he's uh, sam elliott lieutenant dodd he's the only one we talk to he's the only one that means if we get in trouble we don't have any backup and so and so he picked there are all these these guys and there's this one looking you know 12 year old looking like woman who like is is the clear sore thumb in this group of giant uh you know soldiers running right. track and she ends up just blazing past them so obviously because she runs fast she is going to be the perfect partner for this undercover drug uh, operation and because he wants to go to bed with her well i'm just saying you may be reading a little bit into the story but <laughs> but there but as it turns out there was some betting uh so the um so that's it that's the i mean she's she comes in having zero experience and the first thing he shows her how to do is to shoot up baby laxative <laughs> that's that's how i met my wife <laughs> <laughs> so that's how i met your wife too um so <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so the uh, so okay. So you're gonna you're gonna we're gonna hang our hats on the loss of innocence thing. She was innocent. Now she is not. And, well, and on a okay. number of different I mean... levels too, because she was on an. I'll give you this on a number of different levels. First, professionally, she is now a drug cop. And then, you know, uh, one of the things that we we get to see her as she sort of uh, as her character evolves, um, she kind of dances with this. Uh, you know. Uh, dances with drugs herself and uh, as Jason Patrick gets more and more sort of uh, kind of falls more and more down the rabbit hole so to speak uh, we see her and their relationship changing and sort of evolving and maturing uh, as she uh, ends up doing her best to to sort of resurrect 
you know, the shell of a life that he has become. Mm-hmm. And that's I, I think she ends up delivering a an admirable performance there, and that's why I say the movie sort of is is in pieces until that happens, until we get to see, um, you know, Jason Patrick in in you know fits of the crazies and her in the the role of um, of the agent of recovery, and I, I think there they end up playing you know kind of an interesting um, it's an interesting on screen partnership. Well, and that, and and you're right. I mean, the setup of the film is is poorly paced. The once they're actually getting out into the culture, it's it's very kind of repetitive, monotonous. We just kind of go into setup after setup, and we just see how awful it is um, having to hook up with these these various drug dealers. Right? It's it's about as interesting and and repetitive as Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> like it, with different it is different just, levels of baddies. there's a whole different boss every time you know you're fighting the, oh this is the meth boss and then no no right, this right. is the coke boss this is the crazy tattoo pill boss exactly yeah no and you're right and that is that's the biggest problem with the film what works for me though is is the two characters as as their relationship and primarily her because i mean he's you can kind of tell he's lost in it from the beginning and he only gets farther lost um her story i think is pretty interesting how she kind of loses that innocence she has to suck it up and join this world in order to survive and then she gets so lost in it and she has to help herself out all by herself and then try to help him out and I, I don't know. I, I liked her character in this film. I think she's the one that kind of grounded it for me. She made it work for me. And um, the the bookend bit of it, I think, might be just a little much. Um, but um, yeah. But still, I, I I think Jennifer Jason Lee for me is the thing that made it, um, you know, something that I enjoyed more. Okay. I mean, I, I'm, I, I think you're right, um, and she's, she is really sort of the highlight for, for me too, um, as, as kind of clumsy as she was getting into it. The, the other piece I think that that saved this, uh, that that saved the, uh, uh, the film from the perspective of the drug dealers, uh, was uh, what's his name, Max uh, Perlich. Yeah, he's great. He is always great. He's always, always great, and uh, he always plays the same kind of guy. Uh, and he does, doesn't he? He really does, but he's he's so good at it, um, and and he makes that relationship so much more interesting. There was this really awkward kind of transition, um, you know, where they they come clean to him. He is mm-hmm. the he is one of the smaller, he's one of the sort of sea level bosses, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and so they they bring him in and they they kind of tell him the truth and they they come clean and he freaks out and realizes that he's going to go into into this role of as an informant and um you know he's going to have to to narc on his on you know hundreds of his friends who have all bought drugs on his or sold drugs on his guidance and after that point he ends up being a really interesting kind of foil for this film he ends up killing himself um as he comes to terms with his own identity and says you know says i can't run i can't be ushered out of here um 
you know, these, this is, I, I got to take responsibility and ends up, uh, you know, ends up taking his life as a, yeah. as a part of that. Um, he, I really find him when he's on screen, I find him really, um, fascinating to watch. And he was very, he was young at this point. He was very young at, at this point. Um, not that this was necessarily one of his first films, but certainly early in his career, his first, uh, his first uh, looks like his first credited film was uh, was Ferris Bueller's Day Off in ninety six. Ninety six. Eighty six. In two thousand seventy six. That's right. That's yeah. right. He, you know, the scene where they do come out to him, I felt that was one of the stronger scenes in the film because. I was completely not expecting that to happen at that moment. And that's what I find so interesting about that moment because you're talking about when Pat, she brings him over and you're expecting the them to come up with this story about how, oh, no, no, man, we're not cops and all this sort of stuff. And Jason Patrick just turns that right away and it's just like, yeah, that's what we are. And now you're going to help us. The way he turns that came out of left field for me. And I, I think that made that scene work really well for me. And it really does latch you on to Max Perlich's character, Walker. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to say, I, I I feel like you're, uh, it surprises me that that surprised you. Let's just say it that way. Well, I, I guess it just, it wasn't, uh, they they spend so much time talking to people about how, oh, man, we're not cops. You know, that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. The whole first, you know, half of the film is all about them doing drugs to particularly avoid anyone suspecting them of being cops. So the fact that he came out of the blue and announced it right there, I, I just I wasn't expecting that to happen. So, well, it's it was um, to me, it was the. Uh, one of many potential options to write their way out of this scene, right? When you mm-hmm. when you bring him into the house um, and to confront first, the part that surprised me was that she came out and said the, that she introduced the the conflict of this scene. That yeah. she turns out and said he thinks you're a cop, right? Right, and uh, and that that surprised me as soon as she said that. I, I sort of was in this position of stop, of having to stop and think, how could they write their way out of this, right? Mm-hmm. And and the way to introduce the next stage of kind of dramatic tension is to find some way to bring Perlich's character into the fold, and that that's that's why it just sort of made intuitive sense. I don't know if it was a surprise, but the way they did it um, felt architecturally sound even though it was sort of executed kind of confusingly to me. I mean, that's just the nature of Patrick's delivery uh, of the transition of the floating the gun around of the, I mean, they'd already established that they had a trusting relationship with, with Walker and he was a, a spineless kind of a, a, a character. You know, he always had some other bigger guys around him. And and in this case, obviously the power equation was definitely tilted in uh Jason or in uh, Jason Patrick's and and uh, you know Jennifer Jason Lee's uh, their character's position, and so it felt like he was you know it was just delivered weirdly, yeah, uh, to me. I I I didn't um, I, I didn't. Well, it it was del- yeah. delivered a little strangely. Like yeah. he's so hostile about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For and maybe that's him just playing being a drug addict, you know, and, and 
and kind of being at that point in his in his career of using drugs. Yeah, I and all of a sudden having to play tough cop right. on this guy, you know, right, right. something. I don't know. But but anyway, so to the point of, of kind of making that big transition, um, you know, that changes the tone of the movie. Uh, you know, once they have a third person on the inside, uh, and then they're able to start delivering more cases. Yeah, and, and we see more crazies like William Sadler, who's always great when he shows up in anything. And yeah. he's great as the crazy tattooed pill popping guy. Um, but again, it was just a point when it's just like, okay, we, we've got just another scene with just another, uh, uh, you know, crazy drug boss here. I can, I mean, I can do that. Quick, you only got a minute to finish. I can do the whole thing. Okay, so I, you know, I think you're exactly right. And as much I would love to have seen William Sadler in more of this film, like he's he's another one of those. It's just it really, I mean, this movie was was cast really well. Right, I mean, yeah, I think I mean, individual characters down are really to, interesting to watch. You know, very small characters to appear briefly. Who, um, you know, I think they actually cast a lot of people in in the town in Texas that they filmed in, which is great. It's always nice when you you, know, you get those real faces in a project, and so it works really well for the story. Um, uh, yeah, so I mean, it all looks good. It's just your the story is clunky. Yeah. And that's the part that's such a shame. And and so what really happened in real life, right? So uh, the the end of the story is that they they ended up uh, it, there was a well I don't know how much of this part is actually true that in the in the film we we have this uh, uh, sort of a puritanical uh, chief of police who uh, you know believes that Greg Allman is the source of all sin in their Texas town, which. Face it, that's probably true. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, God, I love that band. Um, and, and so, uh, he ends up going on this, his own, uh, little crusade against, um, uh, against his character, Almond's character. And, and it, to the point where he insinuates, you need to make this case, whatever it takes to the, to our two intrepid, uh, uh, undercover agents. And so they end up, um, you know, forging evidence and and they they put together a false case against him and uh in real life the 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 bad guy the the main boss uh goes to jail for five years before he's exonerated and uh our two intrepid uh investigators actually go to jail when they admit that they um uh they falsely created that they all falsely the created and... the cases yeah and what happens in the film uh, is there's a shootout, and our our hero Jason Patrick's character is caught in uh, it catches a shotgun blast to the torso and he dies and and so we are led to believe that Jennifer Jason Lee's character um, uh, exacts her revenge uh, by hiding out in the back seat of a car. Well, well, wait, hold on. She exacts her revenge by using that as the reason why she testifies as to the fact that they forged the case. 
because at the beginning of the film, you've got that setup about how partners always got another partner's back, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then you got the court case, and that's that gives her the now the ammunition to you know announce to the world the truth of the situation that they actually faked it so that Will Gaines, Greg Allman's character, gets out so that she can okay, now proceed. Yeah. Uh right. So she and and so they're sitting well that was the the scene right where they're sitting in the in in court and she she turns over as Gaines sitting in the courtroom uh you know points his two fingers to his head and drags them down her his face you know as if to indicate that you know he's the one who pulled the trigger on the shotgun to uh, uh to Jim Rayner who is you know now long since gone and is somehow threatening that he'll do the same to her so she turns over on the stand and says uh no 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 we were set up uh, mm -hmm. this this didn't really happen or we set him up this didn't really happen all that so that we are to you know we are led to believe at the end that she's hiding in the back seat of Gaines's car he hears her turns around and says uh, you know and just shakes his head he does that head shaking very slow uh, almond head shake and then boom shotgun blast to the face yeah. We don't actually see that it was her do it. We don't actually see that it was Greg Allman who shot Jim Rayner. We don't see any of that stuff. We are just led to believe that that is the case. Well, I think it, I think we're led to believe pretty clearly, though. I yeah, I mean that, it's not you know, it's none too that subtle, that but that's is, the it's is, sort of uh, dumb. What's that? It's it's dumb. I mean that's well, that's the part that's so silly because we're led to believe so strongly that there's no reason to walk out of the theater and think about it anymore. Like there's no reason. This is no inception moment. The top is the top going to fall? Is the top not going to fall? You sit and you talk about that. We'll talk about that for twenty years. This the shotgun blast came out and okay. So who shot it? Well, it was her who did it. Okay. Well, let's go to bed. <laughs> It was just dumb. It's like there's no if you're gonna in, if you're going to introduce that sort of suspense, that kind of cliffhanger suspense, do it with something that's uh, do it with a, a powerful motive. Do it with something that that's going to give you, uh, you know, something to really sink your teeth into. And I think that's where this film really falls apart. It's that there have such great elements to this movie. They have an interesting story that, frankly, could have been a really interesting drama had they not introduced the murder. Uh, at the end and actually played out what was, uh, you know, as it was written in the Wozencraft book. And that's, and that's the biggest thing that I, I, I definitely feel uh, is a hundred percent true. If they had actually stuck with the story and they followed going through the actual trial and all of that, I think it could have made a much more interesting film. The problem I, the, the, the bookend pieces of the film, because we see that same scenario play out at the beginning of the film, right? which I, I always kind of find a little, lame that you know some homeless guy gets into his car okay it's the 70s maybe people don't lock their cars and a homeless guy might crawl into your back seat um but just it, it that the way that they use that to bookend at the end and and build that moment just it just i never bought that and i i think that it could have been much stronger if they stuck with Wozencraft and matthews was the uh her partner's name if they'd actually stuck with their story yeah yep so that's that is uh that's a, a part that I have 
I have real trouble with. I think they yeah. they flubbed it. I th- I don't know what it was they were trying to achieve. If if there was some sort of a um well, they're they're trying to make it more cinematic. I mean, I think what happened here is you have a story that's um a crime story. It's a cop story about cops trying to ba- bring a big crime boss down and if you make it just all like this heavy drama, I think that these are we're talking about big studio people here. And I think that they probably saw that as not fitting within the system and it's not fitting the genre. You, you know, trying to take a, a a cop film and turn it into a drama takes some of the energy out of it. And so they said, okay, well, we're going to have to turn this into a cop film and and give it that whole cop film vibe. So we've got to boost up the end. We've got to change it, put the raise the stakes. I, I mean, it's the sort of conversation you can hear Hollywood suits having about a movie and what to change. And that's what we, the public, always end up finding um, problems with when it, we when it comes down to it because it always rings false. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think then when you go compare that to, um, you know, to Silence of the Lambs, which is in in many ways sort of spiritually similar to this film, um, and and you because, look at the execution. Because, of that you film. mean just because there's a because there's a woman in it. <laughs> No, it's the it's this whole idea of going uh, of of you know it's the the whole idea of the the you know solving the horrific crimes and and uh, you know bringing in the 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 loss of innocence themes played out in a um, in in a sort of police environment. Um, sure, and and I mean it's it's less of the actual that one actually has I guess the I I have a hard time finding that connection only because it's that one really is a mystery and a, and a crime yeah, that yeah. they're trying to solve. And it's very like, it builds that energy. This one, there's not any mystery to it. We know who they're trying to capture and it's just, you know, it's, it's the, the politics of it a little more than the actual mystery of it. And that's why silence of the lambs won five Academy awards that year. <laughs> that's why. That's right. Right. That's why Jodie Foster got to stand up instead of Jennifer Jason Lee. It's why yeah. y- you know, um, yeah. I so you know I don't I don't. Uh, it's not it's not she it's just sort of spoiled. It's not really on my list anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so a couple other things of note. I, I we did should find it interesting what. Um, Lily was doing with the camera work where she was actually using longer shots periodically throughout the film. And I like that. Um, it's, it, they start that way. The whole opening shot is fairly long as we follow Gaines very around shot. the bar and we see him in and out. It actually starts in the safe as he opens the safe and the camera comes out of the safe and then follows him as he makes his way all the way around the bar. We get a sense of him, the scale, everything, all the way up until he hops in his car and drives away. It's, and, it's a and, great... You know, uh, they you, they show, you know, Jason Patrick again in, at a table. There's kind of some kind of nice... Uh, some nice Jason placements. Patrick as Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They show Jesus drinking a beer. Uh, uh, okay, so go ahead. And, and and then they use it periodically throughout the film. The thing I like, and it's 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 challenging for filmmakers to do long shots like this because 
The reason editing works so well in the world of film and the language of film is it allows you to manipulate the pace in order to fit a, a scene better within a film. And anytime a director does a long take like this, it's relying on the actors to find that pacing. And it's also allowing the actors to really get into their roles and, and really perform. Now, I think what they did in this film is they created some amazing long takes where the actors just got to act and they got to be in the scene with each other. Um, and it, I, I think it helped the relationship um, scenes between uh, Rainer and Kristen. And I really liked those shots where they were the long takes. There's like eight or nine of them around, spread around the film. And I liked those a lot. The, um, and I think one of them actually is when he's shooting up, if I recall, where we see him shooting up and he's really shooting up in this film. He's, um, they were using like saline solution or something, but, um, but he actually learned how to shoot up. Uh, this is method acting for you folks <laughs> where he, he actually learned to shoot up. That's dedication. <laughs> <laughs> but we see that we see it and it's, it's really interesting. And I like that Lily did that in this film. I liked that she went to that place because for a first time director doing long takes like this where you're you're counting on everything to work so that it fits within the film and the pacing works within the film and i think for the most part it actually worked out pretty well i think the problems weren't necessarily with those scenes but were more often with the other scenes with the uh, the drug bosses and so, so that's something that I, I did like about the film is that she was doing that with her cinematographer, um, Ken McMillan. So, yeah, it's uh, it, I think in general, the drillers set was always very active and kind of, you know, rich uh, in character. I think they did a good, uh, a good job with that. And I think that uh, I also, you know, I think you're right about the, the long shots. They're interesting. I wonder when there would have been too many. Well, I didn't feel there were. Did you? Would would ten have been too many? You know, that's that's a weird. I, that's that's a tricky thing. And trying to find that, you'd almost have to see how it played out in the film. And the unfortunate thing is, if you put too many in, you would, it's a play. It's too late to go back and reshoot it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it 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 is uh it, and so i i don't know it it felt like it was on the cusp of uh you know sort of cinematically campy uh i i mean i liked it and i particularly liked the first one i i felt like that was that was good and i liked the well, that, the first one was the most the sh- show-offy one. yeah it was a show-offy one i liked the one you know the shooting up one and and um uh i'm trying to remember if uh, where was there the their one that really showcased her uh, uh, I can't. I can't remember the specific one, but yeah. the other one that uh, that stands out for me is the rough sex one. Yeah, because you know it's just it's interesting that the drugs have put them into a place like this where they're so. Um, it, it just changes the their emotion of their relationship, and it's it's just interesting how that how that whole scene played out and i you know those sorts of moments i think are are powerful and and so i liked those are those are things that i do like about this film yeah uh, you, you know the scene where he's um you know he takes an iron to his arm uh, i thought was very powerful as well yeah uh, that's that's the, like the scene that's been burned into my brain pun intended yeah. since i saw this film yeah. yeah i have never forgotten that 
uh, God, just imagining yourself in a place where that's how you have to get rid of evidence. Right. Uh, it's just like, oh man, horrible. Um, okay. So, uh, that's, we, we like what she did with the camera work. Yeah. Okay. What else do we like? The, the last thing that I, I have on my list that I wanted to talk about was Eric Clapton. I, that was on my list. Yeah. Go I, ahead. I, I, you know, this is, I, as I understand, I believe this is the only film score that Eric Clapton has written, right? Okay. <laughs> Are you going to be serious with that? I I don't know. Has he written another film score? Well, yes. What am I forgetting? Go just take a second. Go uh, right now. Okay. We're going to this well, anyway, live. But go Eric IMDb. Clapton, no, you got to go aside, do this right now. Go do this right now. The score. No, this is which good. I, I I do like. It doesn't. You're, it doesn't knock my. You may be right if we're if we're looking at. Uh, but you, you you just just. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up, and I'll, I'm sure I'll feel stupid. No, I, I'm not saying you're gonna feel stupid. I'm just saying that because the first thing I thought when I uh, heard this this uh, you know this music was God, this was such a great movie um, when I saw it as Lethal Weapons one, two, three, and four. Along with the 122 other movies that he did. Oh, dear. You know, I, he's... Uh, Eric Clapton is a signature sound, and, and they definitely, uh, uh, you know, applied that sound to this film. <laughs> I would... Let's, let's leave it at that. But, uh, okay, yes. So, I, I think it is sad that this song with, that he wrote, film, Tears in Heaven... Tears of tears in heaven. That he he did tears in heaven, which is a song about the the tragic death of his child, and that it is used in this movie is is makes me sad. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's a powerful song, particularly more when you know the story behind it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you don't know the story, it was great in the soundtrack to Rush. <laughs> <laughs> so mean. Oh, man. it is. It's it, it, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a a tough song that he wrote after his son died, and yes, it did end up getting used in this, and it's you know it that it is what it is. But just the fact that uh, this is the film where that song. It, it it happened while they were shooting this film and he actually wrote this song and Lily was actually afraid of using the song in the film. She felt that it was too personal and she kind of didn't want to use it, but he really felt that he wanted it in there and um, he kind of pushed it. So she let him uh, put it in there. So it's interesting that it was really him that him. kind of felt that he wanted it to be in the film. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that actually, uh, you know, it it changes uh, changes my impression of one of those characters in the in that <laughs> argument. <laughs> Both of them, actually, technically. So. Oh uh, my my my. Uh, okay. So yes, Eric Clapton. He's a great film composer. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a this has been uh, an excellent sort of insert foot real time discovery. 
uh, I think this is great. I can't wait to talk about any of the other. <laughs> We're going to do an Eric Clapton series. There are some great movies in there. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So this movie uh, was a box office smash in an alternative universe. <laughs> This is what we call an inverted success. This this is the um it's the it's the the Oscar screw up allowance. So that's we've right. got that going for us, right? That's, that's what we've got. It, so it, what do you uh, have on the budget? I show twelve million? I didn't find the budget. I, I actually neglected to look for it. So twelve million sounds good. Where and it only made about seven point two million. Yeah domestically not great and let's just let's just say it's not uh it's not bringing in any cult dollars either it's a tough movie to find um, that's true it it definitely is it's not one that they're uh pushing out there on itunes or yeah. amazon or anything it's a it's a tricky one to track down it's uh, on dvd you can track down used copies and that's about it that's about it yeah. um but uh you know it's it's a part of our Xanax series. I got you know, I I feel like we I my objective tonight was checking this off our list, <laughs> and it was met and exceeded. Well, this was the film that let's see they they did this immediately after. Um, Driving Miss Daisy. This was the uh, yeah. very next film they did, um, and then oddly enough they jumped into a TV version of Driving Miss Daisy, which I find so strange. Wow. But they did a another version of TV uh, of Driving Miss Daisy, specifically made um, as a TV... Uh, sorry, it was a TV pilot. It was a movie that was going to be a TV pilot, and it, it, it did not work. I cannot imagine that as a TV show. That's crazy. Uh, so did, did they actually shot a pilot? Uh-huh, yeah. Have Joan Plowright was Daisy, and Robert Guillaume was Hoke. Robert and they, Guillaume. And it played as a TV movie as a as a pilot. They were hoping to turn it into a uh, a TV show. Apparently, played on CBS the summer of '92 and failed. Wow. Yeah, that's something I don't even remember that happening. That, that must, must have happened. That's how badly that thing just failed. Must have happened right before Driving Miss Daisy: The Interpretive Dance, starring <laughs> Helen Hunt. What the hell is that? In age makeup. <laughs> I, I, I loved that Helen Hunt dance. <laughs> and that was right around the time the Lombada was popular. So That's right. there was a little Lombada in there too, wasn't Lombada. there? Well, actually, I think, uh, yeah, no, I think, um, uh, <laughs> what's his name <laughs> who played Richie Valens? <laughs> he was actually Hoke. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you oh, just man. put add a, add a so, great so they, Okay, so they did that. Then they did Rich in Love. Lou, Lou Diamond Phillips. He played a hook. He played <laughs> in the interpretive dance version of Driving Miss Daisy. Go ahead. You get serious. Okay, so they did Rich in Love. I'm leading up to where we're going to be next week. Oh, thank God. Yes, we're we're done talking about Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Rich in Love, Clean Slate, one of your favorites. Uh, right? Oh, yeah. Don't you keep a copy of that under your pillow? <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three copies. <laughs> uh, and then they did Wild Bill, which, you know, it's an interesting Western. 
it's uh, not one of the best out there, but it does have Jeff Bridges. So it's got that going for it. Yes, I which I actually that was was that the one with the uh, Val Kilmer? Nope. That was the That's other Tombstone. one. That was Tombstone. So this one, who played uh, Doc Holliday in this one? I forgot. This this, this was, was with Wild Kevin Bill Hickok. This does not uh, have to do anything with Tombstone. Exactly. But uh, wait this a is minute. Deadwood, Wild Bill and Calamity Jane. Yeah, clearly that wasn't a good movie. Yeah, well, it, it didn't. You know, stick. it was a little disappointing. Uh, so they did that, and Mulholland Falls, Chain Reaction, Deep Impact. True Crime, Rules of Engagement, trying to get to where we get to something that's more exciting. I'd like to go back to Chain Reaction. I'd love me some Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Right? Rachel Wise? Are you kidding? Wasn't that the one where Rachel Wise was like the nuclear physicist? Isn't that her first film? Ugh. That's another Talk, movie. Talking about, yeah, uh, you can chain be reaction. you can be damn sure I am never watching that movie again because I enjoy my memory of that film. Are you kidding me? Of chain reaction. Of chain reaction. So don't There's nothing I enjoy about that. Talk, film. Don't even talk about oh. it. I had that's where I developed my crush on Rachel Wise, and there it stands. So never, please, yeah, keep keep that away. Stop talking from... about it. <laughs> anywhere near you because i Keep because whatever the memory you have of it and latch onto that because the movie will only disappoint because the mummy and the whole thing i loved that and then we've got the fountain which nearly destroyed uh my relationship with rachel uh and so really i have to hold chain reaction very close to my heart well, you hold on tight <laughs> <laughs> okay so where are we so, now so okay this? so planet and then Right at the at the beginning of the 2000s, he starts his relationship with Tim Burton, and from that point until his his uh, tragic death in 2012 earlier this year, he is working on every Tim Burton film that Tim Burton cranks out: Planet of the Apes, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Sweeney Todd, and Alice in Wonderland, and Dark Shadows, which was his uh, uh, the last film that he worked on. Um, uh, that he saw through completion. So um, all of those films. And then he also did other films as well, like Reign of Fire, Road to Perdition, which is actually one that I would have loved to talk about. We'll have to talk about that in another series. Yeah. And um, Yes Man, those are the other films that he had produced in that time. But what we're going to be ending with for our Xanax series, we're going to be talking about two of of the films that he did with uh, Tim Burton. I think these, I, I, you know, Gosh, I, I can't think of the, uh, like, you look at Tim Burton's canon, and uh, I think these are two of the very top. Interesting. You don't? Are you kidding me? I, well, okay. I I have a love-hate relationship with Tim Burton. I have a yeah. lot of memories of films that I enjoyed of his when I was young, and I have not enjoyed so much when I've re- revisited them. Yes, I'll right. give you. That. I'm totally going to give you that. Yeah, and uh, you're right. I think that that certainly they've they've uh, improved as time has gone on, um, and and I I would venture to say that I think uh, I I really do enjoy Sweeney Todd, um, Big Fish. I'll enjoy talking. We're going to talk Big Fish next week, and then Sweeney Todd in two weeks. Um, 
I'll enjoy talking to you with with you about Big Fish because I have I have some issues with that film, but I do enjoy it. But yeah, okay, okay. I don't want to get too deep into it because we're talking about it. No, next we're week. Ta- that's right. No, I'm just I'm excited. I'm I kind of I'm gonna have to bring my A game. That's right. Okay, and then Sweeney Todd, and I'm I I hear you say with hesitancy that you like Sweeney Todd. No, 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 no. I think Sweeney Todd may be my favorite Tim Burton film. Oh, good. All right. So we're ending because I was afraid maybe Dark Shadows or Frankenweenie would be your closet favorites. Neither of which I have seen. Don't even have to. (laughs) (laughs) Trailer was enough. Ed Wood actually may be my other uh, favorite Tim Burton film. I think Ed Wood and Sweeney Todd. Hmm. Yeah. No, I liked Ed Wood. I, I, I liked Ed Wood. Uh, what about Scissorhands? You're not a Scissorhands fan? I like Scissorhands, and I really want to love Scissorhands, but every time I've watched it, I just there's something that is just not clicking with me. Yeah. I like, and this is something I'll talk about next week with Tim Burton, because that happens right. a lot with him. Yeah, I look forward to that. I, I'm not, I was never actually a fan of Scissorhands. It just seems like something you, you kind of like. I, for me, it was always, always, always Beetlejuice. Uh, Ed Wood, Big Fish, and Sweeney Todd. Those Beetlejuice, I love. It's it's definitely aged. It hasn't aged as well for me as I would have liked. Yeah. Same with Batman. Although yeah, Batman still holds a special place in my problem, heart. The problem the first. for yeah, the problem for Tim Burton's Batman is Christopher Nolan's Batman. <laughs> exactly. All right. Yes, yes. I got nothing else. Where can people find you? Uh... They can find me um, on Twitter at Soda Creek Film. They can find me on Facebook at Soda Creek Film or at facebook.com slash movies we like. And of course, rashpixel.tv slash MWL. Yeah, yeah, all of those things. You can find me at Pete Wright, plus all of the things that Andy said. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, all right, looking forward to it, man, next week. Yeah, jumping into some wacky world of Tim Burton. I feel like we need a song. (laughs) <laughs> Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>